I've been um, reading, or I should probably say listening, to The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And I want to start by saying that that's an absolutely fantastic, fantastic book. I first listened to or read The Screwtape Letters a couple of years ago when I was um, exploring Christianity. I think I'd read Mere Christianity first and then I'd moved on to Screwtape Letters maybe a few months later. And so obviously at the time, um, it was uh, very educational in its own way. But I think it was it was beyond me in many of its insights. Because really, the Screwtape Letters is, is speaking to Christians who are dealing with temptation, who are already in the, in the swing of trying to live as a Christian. Um, but in any case, I remember it being very insightful. And then... I started listening to it again recently and there was a particular line in it that really stuck out that I would like to speak about today. And obviously, so the two characters are Screwtape and his underling Wormwood. They're both demons who are set to tempt humans to draw them away from God. Uh, And for that reason, it really becomes a... What is it a book about? It's a book about not just demons and temptation, but really it's more, I think, about how our own sinful flaws pull us away from God. And then whether you think Wormwood and Screwtape are accurate representations of demons or not, they really do give a voice to how temptation pulls us away and how aspects of our sinful nature can be amplified or twisted or aspects of our good nature can be twisted and and uh, even muted to make us fall into sin. Whether that's because of devils or because of ourselves or our own internal lusts and desires and pride or the flesh, you know, it's the distinction isn't really clearly made, I don't think, theologically. But in any case, these two characters give voice to, to all of that. Having said that, and I'll probably do, I think I would like to do an episode in the future on the Screwtape Letters by itself. I think it deserves its own time to speak about the real standout qualities of it. But there was one passage that stood out to me. And this really is something which I think is pertinent, if you like, from the devil's point of view. Anyway, what was the passage? Screwtape was talking about how what they really want to do at a certain point when they're tempting humans away from from God is they want to leave humans... Firstly, they they talk a lot about how confusion is one of their greatest weapons and misdirection. Um, And they want the human to get to a state in which they're so distasteful. They find the idea of prayer or... uh, proper diligence so distasteful that they keep themselves needlessly distracted even when they don't need to be or even when they don't want to be I think that was the most important point right so if I remember correctly it's something along the lines of the human will so detest prayer by the time we've done our work that he would rather spend his time staring blankly at a wall thinking of nothing than praying He would rather indeed have a conversation with someone he doesn't like 
simply for the sake of having that banal conversation than pray. He would rather do something completely inane and boring and in fact waste his time doing something he doesn't want to do instead of wanting to pray or instead of actually praying. And I haven't phrased that perfectly, but hopefully you get the idea. But anyway, he summarized the entire thing in this one sentence. He said, when we've done our work, the ideal is that we would have taken everything from the human and given him nothing in return. Nothing in return. Now, there's a little bit of a backdrop to that sentence, right? And the backdrop is this. Usually, when they talk about temptation throughout the rest of the book, it's about drawing the human away from some from some greater good by the allure of some smaller good, but obviously which is laced with evil, right? So how do you get a man to stay away from a good marriage? Well, perhaps you entice him with lust, right? And a slew of inconstant and hollow relationships and casual sex. How do you keep away how do you keep a man away from true humility? Well, perhaps you heap honors upon him and the pleasure of being well-respected and well-liked by the people around him, right? How do you keep away a man away from true wisdom? Well, perhaps you fill his head with lies and false wisdom and puff him up with fake knowledge, right? Which can still give him a kind of, indeed a shallow comfort, but it's still a comfort of his own ego and his own fleshly, worldly satisfaction in those cases, right? So, so what you have there is this trade, this handoff that the devil makes where he will give you a lesser good which is tinged with evil in order to stop you from grabbing hold of the greater good, right? But he's still making some kind of exchange. He's still, in a sense, rewarding you in some way for pursuing the evil that he wants you to. And obviously, devil aside, our flesh does that itself, right? Um, for every time you give in to, say, any sin of the flesh, you get the small reward of a, I don't know, a slap of dopamine or a fleeting pleasure. And then the price you pay is a developing relationship with God and perhaps even eternal salvation, right? But that brings us back to the line that Screwtape said. The real goal or the real joy for the demons is to take everything from us and give us nothing in return, right? And I really thought about that because I think they pull that off quite often. I think they pull that off quite often. Now, I think the people who they do that to, in fact, wouldn't really be on our radars very much and kind of because of that reason, right? Because every person that these demons give gifts too, we can see, right? Imagine every celebrity who is obviously, well, frankly, doing evil work, but is hoisted up on a stage with honours and fame and money as their, their reward for it, right? We can see these people, we know of them. I think the people who the devils take everything from and give nothing back are basically writhing around in the shadows, um, now here's one archetype that you might all think of, that you might be able to, uh, to understand. 
Imagine the incel, right? Such men do exist, obviously. Imagine the atheist fedora-wearing incel who doesn't even have a good career, right? The literal character, like the archetype of the literal basement-dwelling, fedora-wearing, anime-watching, video game-playing, fat, testosterone-lacking soy boy, for lack of a better word, right? Who's also an atheist. I think that would be an example of what Screwtape was talking about. That kind of person. Because what situation is that person left in? Right? What have they actually gained from the demons? Well, firstly, they haven't gained any faith, right? That's the atheism part. They're kept, they're strictly kept away from faith. Um, not forever. I know everyone can turn around. And I, and I know you sincerely pray that such people do turn around. But whilst they're kept in that state, they're obviously severed from religion. So that's the first thing. Um, by being distracted by things like anime and video games and more than likely pornography and that kind of thing, uh, such men are kept impotent and weak as well. So a, uh, a Casanova or a Lothario could still boast of despite their sins and despite um, the hell that that would bring them, they could still to some degree boast of many sexual relationships or having a great way and great time with women. But these men don't even have that, right? Um, and Attila the Hun or a Genghis Khan or a Julius Caesar, again, as uh, murderers in many cases, as, uh, as killers, still have their sins. But in return, the devils gave them strength, power, right? Or I should actually say these things, all good things come from God, but the devils were able to twist those things for um, for the for the ends of evil. All these men were able to do that too. Um, but you see what I'm saying, right? You know, still for all of their murder and conquest, they were in a sense rewarded with the spoils of war and the honor and reverence of man though that pales, in, pales, completely pales in significance compared to the honour of God. Again, if you're sat there watching anime all day, watching porn, not going to the gym and letting yourself lose, uh, get overweight, you're neither going to have romance or courage or strength and, of course, no honour either. And for all that time that they're being distracted by these things, often wrapped up in spirals of delusion of one form or another um if they can't even get a stable job or a career you know to get themselves out of their mother's basement and get themselves their own house or a nice car or whatever they're not even rewarded with the most basic of uh worldly goods i suppose have I phrased that properly? 
well, I, what I mean is I, I regard material possessions as an even more shallow and hollow form of worldly good than things like love and care and relationships and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, they don't even have that, right? They don't even have, despite everything else, despite the lack of relationships or romance and all of that stuff with a bit more depth, they don't even have material possession. So what have they done in that case? Well, in that case, they've given over all of their sin, right? In a sense, if you think that there's only really two masters that we can serve in this life, God or the devil, then they've given the devil really their time, their attention, their vices. And in this case, the devil has not given them anything back. Nothing in return. Now, I know that that's not strictly 100% true because there's probably some small level of gratification they get from their video games or pornography or whatever. But I think um, I think the basic point's been illustrated, you know. Um, now, here's the icing on the cake. Here's the uh, bitter icing on the black cake. This often comes coupled with, I mean, such people are often horrendously depressed, right? Um, and so that's a real, I think that is a real example of what the devil is taking. Because don't forget, the devil hates you, hates you, and so do all the demons. They utterly, utterly hate you with every fibre of their being. Um, they, I mean, the devil, for example, probably hates you not only more than any other human being does, but more than any other human being is capable of hating you. And then obviously on the flip side of that, God loves you more than you can ever possibly imagine as well. You know, if, if the devil can strip your life down in that way, whilst there's no glory, no satisfaction, no romantic connection, no wealth or entertainment or anything, and just strip you away in a dark corner somewhere, whilst heaping despair and depression upon you in your loneliness whilst you remain an insignificant shadow to the world around you, cut off from God, then I suppose he's quids in, isn't he? Like, what more could he want in a certain sense? Um, and then obviously, in many cases, tragically, um, that kind of depression leads to suicide as well, which for the devil is a serious, serious win. This is one of the things that I always found so ironic about the atheist worldview. And I can speak about this um, from the inside as well, because I've been in such a position in the past. But, you know, 
when you get rid of all religion um, and go hardline atheists, usually what happens is people then become what they regard as uh, humanist in, in this broad sense. And what's usually tucked under that for an individual ethic is, is just, it's just hedonism. It's just hedonism. Um, now, as people might know from my work in the past, uh, one of my books, for example, you can distinguish between shallow hedonism and deep hedonism. And the more clever types will do that, right? They'll say, well, it's not just about me having pleasure, but it's about me also being a good person and this kind of stuff. If I want to really enjoy love as much as possible, et cetera, et cetera. It leads to its own dead end. But but here's the here's the twist. Here's the ironic thing I found. They would still personally, each person would want to maximize their own happiness in life. And then they have a vague idea that they do that it doesn't really matter how they do that so long as they don't annoy anyone or um, step on anyone's toes in the process. Yet, these people are consistently profoundly unhappy. Profoundly unhappy, right? And you'd think, okay, so if you were going to be intelligent about just being happy, and happiness is the most important thing, right? Then why would you not just accept the apparent delusion of religion in order to improve your life? So there's obviously some commitment to truth that goes beyond that. But here's the other thing that always bugged me. Why would you care about truth in that case? There's nothing in that view that really supports truth for its own sake. Unless, ironically, you just have faith that truth is inherently valuable. That's one of the funny things. Um, you would have to just take it on faith that truth is good for truth's sake, regardless of how much it makes you suffer, right? Now, I actually believe that. But I kind of recognize the religious underpinnings of that worldview now. But from the atheist point of view itself, it's like, okay, so you go towards hedonism and say, well, I just want to enjoy life as much as possible. But I still have some indescribable commitment to truth, apparently. But truth, truth makes life miserable, or well, the way I perceive truth makes life miserable. You know, that's that's one of the atheists' uh, angles of attack. They will say that, well, you know, it's, it's, if you don't like the fact that religion isn't true, then your feelings have nothing to do with the matter. You need to just be brave enough to accept the fact. And then they'll go and kill themselves. Right. You need to be brave enough to accept the fact that life doesn't owe you a meaning, apparently, and then invariably be crushed by the fact that life actually has no apparent meaning. Uh, I always found it strange. And, and this is what, you know, going back to, to old screw tape, this idea that what the enemy wants to do is to keep you confused. You know, because once once you accept that there is such a thing as God, um, whether you get as far as Christianity or not, it's like once you realize there is actually actually a center to everything, something that both anchors and encompasses everything, you know, an infinite being, an infinite source, a being which is chosen for you to exist, um a being that did in fact create the world that we live in and the beings that we are and 
gave us a purpose to pursue. And the whole idea of meaning makes perfect sense. And this is the thing, it connects into our souls as well. Like that inherent sense or desire for meaning that we all are tethered to finds its anchor and, and connects to it. And I think intuitively as well. I think it connects to it intuitively. In a sense, I think that's why religion is so much so much more man's natural state. And you have to think your way out of religion. Now, in fairness, I think how religion is managed and how theology is done and all of the lies that men and demons alike tell about religion do confuse the matter, that's for sure. Um... But I think the heart knows that it's true. I think the soul, well, I think the heart knows that God exists because the soul knows that God exists. Um, but we are able to use, I mean, our, our heart is able to reject that fact and, and our minds are able to reject that fact. Uh, funnily enough, because God in his love gives us the freedom to ignore him. But then again, so let's tie this back to the atheist ring, right? It's like we can reject religion because we want to be free and happy, but in doing so, we invariably become more miserable because we get rid of meaning. And so it just becomes a dragon that eats, eats its own tail. Uh, and of course, from inside the Christian worldview, that, that's of no surprise whatsoever. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's the devil's gambit, isn't it? It's uh, promising you something and giving you the opposite in many cases. Um, so, but, you know, we can talk about that even more broadly. I mean, when people have these grand ideals of breaking away from religion. They think it's going to, pro uh, they think because the break from religion is going to promise more freedom, more enlightenment, more happiness. But actually what happens in return, what we have got in return is uh, more confusion, more misery, and no, not freedom, because we're all more enslaved to our weaknesses and our desires. And there's a reason why Christ said the truth will set you free and why that is meant in an explicitly religious, explicitly Christian, and dare I say explicitly Catholic context. Because the truth actually makes us truer, more fulfilled, more capable, and therefore freer versions of ourselves. But that is something the devil wants to hide from you. Something the devil wants to hide from all of us. Because he knows, probably better than we do, that that kind of true fulfillment and reward and liberation is to be found in the arms of God. And not in our own arms, not by our own hand per se, and certainly not from the hands of devils.
So this is why I wanted to attend to this kind of thing, right? I mean, it is, you know, we, we can see them pull this off. It's not to black pill. I hate the idea of black pilling. Um, but it's to encourage vigilance towards this kind of thing. I, I doubt that such a person would be listening to this podcast. But if you are that fedora-wearing atheist who watches porn all day and hasn't left his mother's basement, just think, what is being taken from you? And are you even willing to admit it? Because there are beings that exist who expressly want what's worst for you and who are constantly working towards that. And all of us have a choice whether to help such beings or not. Because that's another aspect of this that I think is always proving itself to be true. No matter what, and no matter what anyone tells you, free will absolutely fundamentally exists and when it comes to the struggle between good and evil we always have the right to choose but if we're not careful that right will be used against us so we've got to be responsible we've got to be careful we've got to be clear We've got to be diligent. And we have to put our trust in God. That'll be all for today, I think. God bless you and thank you for your time.